For this podcast, we're going to do my second interview style series. In this one, I speak with an old friend of mine. We engage in some conversation, some music, some reminiscing, and some interesting uh, views on everything from Appalachia, my home place, to Brazil, to South African politics and history, and some reflections on travel and empire, the United States, Brazil as superpowers. So you'll get to hear some good music and conversation throughout. I hope you enjoy this. You can find me at anchor.fm slash Micah Sun. I'm chatting today with my friend Stephen Cromer. Um, you still going by that name? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I've also gone by the name Steve Funk. Steve at, Funk. At, at times, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so. and, and you've got a SoundCloud channel it sounds um, like I've got a, actually my big my major project at the moment is my youtube channel travel channel but i've also got a soundcloud thing going mm-hmm. on so yeah so amazingly we haven't chatted in about 18 years it's um, been a while i know voice. um mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. It's, it's quite amazing actually <laughs> mm-hmm. so much time's gone by um yeah you you haven't changed a bit <laughs> you sound about the same too. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I left, um, we were great friends and travel buddies in South yeah. Africa. We both yeah. met in, in Cape Town. And um, when I left, it, we didn't know how we'd be in touch because technology back then was such that, like, we just kind of were like, "Well, I guess we'll just, you know, have a nice life." And like, it's it's hard to call even, you know, back then. Exactly. Um, and uh, since then, Facebook popped up, and I remember you got on on the Facebooks, which surprised me because uh, you were a bit technology phobia, I think, back then. Uh, was um, I? I? That's how I remembered it. Yeah, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, but it was really good to see you uh, on there. We we text chatted for a while, and then um, since uh, yeah, well, look, what, uh, what year did you get on Facebook? I got on on 2007, pretty much when everybody, the big boom. Yeah, that was around then, I think, 09, between I was, 06 and 09. I, was, I searched for you a little bit before that. I think I found you in 09, 010, somewhere there. Mm-hmm. But I, I did search for you before that, and I couldn't find you. Um, mm-hmm. I think I found you through, through your brother or something, Thomas. Oh, nice, maybe. yeah, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, remember, we were emailing back and forth for a while, and then at some point, I, I lost the address, or you changed the address, and that was pretty much the end of the correspondence for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I remember you went to London, and then to Israel, I think, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. On a travel, on a, on a travel. I did a sort of London, Europe, Israel thing, what was what actually happened was um, the plan was I actually wanted to come and visit you in the States. Uh, That's right. During yeah. that trip and couldn't get the visa or was told I would not be able to get the visa out of South Africa kind of thing, mm. which, um, yeah, was a bit of a, a letdown. Yeah, that's time. a bummer. So, yeah, unfortunately, that didn't happen and then time just passed. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we are <laughs> 20, yeah. Uh, almost 20 years later. Yeah, but, um, but no, we definitely need to 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 get together again. I think. Um, yeah, I agree. And I mean, listening to your podcast the other day, I mean, when 
it was good to really, you know, hear your voice again. And I mean, I've been keeping an eye on you, what you've been up to. We've chatted a little bit mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, yeah, well, it's not, it, it's probably not easy for the, for people to get into the great unholy empire of the United States very easily. <laughs> so you've got my sympathy on that one. Well, I'm curious about, um, back to sort of the personal level with you. Yeah. I know you've been scuba diving, instructing. It sounds like you're teaching English some, is that right? And then um, also yeah. working on some music. Yeah, I mean, my main project is actually my video channel, Life Aquatic Diving on YouTube, uh, where right. I put all my travel videos and things. It's called Life Aquatic Diving, but basically it's just travel and adventure. Yeah, I've, I got trained as a, as a teenager. Oh yeah, where did you die? It was off of Myrtle Beach in South Carolina in the okay. states. Yeah, I mean I've researched a little bit about like Carolina diving and stuff. Um, how how was the visibility? It wasn't that great when we went down for <laughs> our dives, um, training at least. But it, um, we went down to an old wreck, a shipwreck, about five miles off the coast. How was the water um, temperature? It was slightly chilly, but not too bad. Okay, we had on um, you know full wetsuits. Yeah, because Cape Town, I don't know if you remember, but the water is bloody cold. I mean, Cape yeah, Town. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was beautiful yeah. beach. I got in once. Beautiful <laughs> beaches, like, but the water, the water is freezing. It varies between 10 and, and 18 degrees. Maybe you get 20 if you're lucky. Mm. And the visibility is also unpredictable. Um, usually, the colder it is, the better the visibility. So mm. it's kind of difficult. I did. A, I mean, that's where I got into it. And it's very physical diving also. You know, there's like, like those forests of kelp and things like that that seaweed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, I do. I've got photos. And a lot really of like beautiful. surge and stuff. It's very physical, but it's but it is very beautiful as well. And I mean, there's a lot of quite big animals, rays and sharks and all kinds of things. Great diving, but it's it's tough because simply because it's so cold, and the conditions are tough. You're out of the the you know we're bound by the laws of gravity and things on land, mm-hmm. and now you're shifted into this environment where none of those things apply. Um, mm-hmm. And this just switches your, your brain functioning, your perception, um, everything just changes. And I mean, they say, you know, we like aquatic creatures originally, um, the whole like mammalian breath reflex thing that like comes from like, I guess, whales and dolphins. That mm. if you submerge your face like in cold water and dive down, you have this urge to gasp for air. But if mm-hmm. you can pass that, you can actually stay down for like five minutes or something. If you can get past that thing of the carbon dioxide tricking your brain that you need to take a breath, you suddenly can stay down like, um, like for this much longer time. But yeah, when I get the chance to do it, I really do uh, enjoy it. Um, it's really quite gratifying. Uh, the music. So yeah, I mean, I've been working on a lot of projects um, over the last couple of years. Um, so I'm going to, I'm planning to finally release a solo EP. I mean, I online, on SoundCloud. I don't know why I haven't actually done this yet. It's been like 10 years in the, in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, various things, but some things are brand new. Some things have been sitting there for 10 years that are going to be uh, reworked slightly. But um, yeah, let me play this one. So this is a cover um, and yeah, it's an oldie, but uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. My heart when you said I couldn't dance, you didn't even want me around. But now I'm back to show you I can really shake them down. 
Well, do you love me? Taken it's it's an old rock and roll classic with a punk like a classic punk flavor to it now. It's nice, and then some kind of maybe glam like the the glam rock sort of lead right at the end. Yeah, very um, Van Halen influenced the the lead kind of breaks and things. I think you missed the whole Alan Funk. I remember some of that. Of my, of, I remember of my. some of that. Life. Mm-hmm. I don't think we were in contact at that stage. Uh, maybe, maybe just at the very end, mm-hmm. might have gotten in contact. Um, so I kind of formed this like African funk band uh, that ended up getting very African. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was a band with incredible potential, but unfortunately, uh, we we stuck around about four years. But unfortunately, personal differences just pulled it apart finally. Uh, right. with, I, I saw with, the video. There was a female singer, lead singer. It seemed like, at least in the video I saw, he was singing. Uh, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had we had two vocalists. Once, at one point, they were in the band at the same time, and um, at another stage, they were. Uh, it was just the one. The other one left to pursue her medical studies. Uh, Luazi. Mm-hmm. Um, should I play a track? from yeah from let's them. see um, let's let's do it okay so i'll play uh yeah let's see how it sounds I'll is play. this the alan funk or the steve funk no this is alan funk
So that one was called um, Amanzi. Mm. Uh, it means water, basically, in, I think, Koza and possibly Zulu. Yeah, well, and um, what, yeah, language was the, what language was, was being sung in? in Koza. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, she's basically singing about a girl in a village collecting water. Uh, this was, the band had three phases. We had like a party funk kind of phase. Then we mm-hmm. went into this very African phase in the middle. And then we went into this almost like funk punk African phase at the end, which was, I think when we really were at our peak, but unfortunately I only have some demos of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this band, I mean, it had so much 
potential, I think, actually. It was quite tragic. The yeah, groove was great. It yeah, was like, I mean, so nice. And you were playing bass, is that right? I was right? playing bass, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it came through really well. Mm-hmm. You know, it just was so good and underappreciated at the time. I mean, we got some recognition, but things would happen like we would send it to festivals and they'd play it to like, they'd be like, we don't know what to do with this African stuff. But look, this was also, this was recorded in 2008. So it was 10 years ago. So it's mm-hmm. just as like YouTube and social media and everything was really taking off, you know? So mm-hmm. it was a lot harder in those days to kind of get your stuff out there um, on the internet. Even though these platforms just existed, they weren't all kind of interconnected and we didn't understand how to use them like we do today. Yeah, there's a whole art to, to self-promotion through the various interconnected social medias these days. Yeah, the last sound of the band I was trying to describe to you was kind of almost like a Pink Floyd psychedelic African. That's actually what it was like. Um, <laughs> I'd love Pink to hear Floyd, that. Psychedelic African with a bit of garage rock. Mm-hmm. We were trying to get more of like a blend of English and stuff. Um, it was like maybe a little bit alienating for mm-hmm. some of the fans. Uh, because, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice it's to a hear difficult, a I yeah, can, I no, no, it's a beautiful language. I mean, it sounds, it sounds great, but... Um, mm-hmm. It's a nice yeah. to hear a little bit in, in a language you can understand. I think it like... Yeah, there was a, a bridge good. there. I don't know if, if you heard mm-hmm. the bridge. There was like a I bridge. I did, yeah. I heard yeah. the word river. She was singing about the river, I think. Mm-hmm. But we were trying to get a lot more of that um, going on towards the end. Um, but it was, it was difficult. I, I was going for this goofy, like Beavis and Butthead meets like funk caricature sort of Afro punk kind of thing you know and i think other people in the band had like this i want to be like a serious african jazz artist they didn't appreciate the circus as much i guess i mean you need the circus you know you need that um you need that element to to capture the attention um and the mu i mean the music was great so you know that they didn't need to be that uh insecurity mm-hmm. about about the about the about the gimmicks you know because because we had the music to back up the gimmicks right Okay, so let me play you one more. This one's called Rainbow Blue, and it captures more of that crossover psychedelic sound. Yeah. Uh, This was one of our final recordings and was never actually finished. So here we go, Rainbow Blue by Alan Funk.
Yeah, I remember visiting South Africa and getting out of this country for the first time in a in a big way for a long time. I was there eight months and getting a lot of perspective on um, this country from the outside. It was really refreshing. Um, but now you're in Brazil, is that right? Um, yeah, that's correct. I've been living here for three years now, mm-hmm. just over. Uh, I actually just became a citizen. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's been quite an experience. Um, I don't actually know where to start, but, um, yeah, it's an amazing country. It's an amazing culture. It's kind of similar in some ways. Remember when we went to the trans sky? Yeah, I do. The wild coast? It the kind epic of, journey, yeah. It looks a lot like that, the coastline and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the people and the culture are... Well, actually, some of the people are quite similar to certain people that you find in South Africa, but, you know, it's a Latin culture. Mm-hmm. Do you speak Portuguese fluently uh, at this point? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, that's always kind of been a big thing for me to learn how to speak Portuguese fluently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Brazil is extremely uh, monolingual, like they only mm-hmm. speak Portuguese. A couple of people learn English because of their work. It's difficult to explain, but it's got this like culture. Brazilians are warm and friendly, but at the same time, they really have this thing like this uh, gringo thing. Um, mm-hmm. Like out, I don't know if you've encountered the whole gringo thing in other Latin American countries. Um, a bit of prejudice or a bit of, of... Not really prejudice, but they say it's not prejudice. But like all, right. foreign, all foreigners are referred to as, as like the gringos. Kind of thing. I was wondering if you and, counted in that. And it kind of does feel sort of degrading. But people are always like, oh, no, no, don't worry. It's just the word that we use for foreigners. Like it's not meant to be degrading. But, um, but like you get this gringo label. Yeah, it's been, it's been a difficult one to reconcile. Right. And it's like, and it's been this weird journey. And then gradually, like, you start dealing with people. And it's so weird how the treatment has changed bit by bit. And, you know, and they just, like, speak to me normally now. Do you think like, they realize that you're from a, a, a uh, different country? Yeah, nine, nine, 99.9% of the time. They'll uh-huh. be like, because, I mean, the accent is so specific. But they'll be like, where are you from? But... I think for basic interactions, like in the supermarket and things sometimes, I think there's times when they don't even realize now. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I start speaking to someone for more than a minute, uh, yeah, they, they realize, you know. It's, sure, yeah. And it's a very strong like, thing in Brazil, this thing of like, like I said, this foreigner thing. Like You're born in culture. Brazil and everybody mm-hmm. else is not Brazilian, you know, kind right. of thing. And if you're not Brazilian, you don't understand 
what it means to be a Brazilian right. <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, it's this whole thing. And then gradually like you, but, it, but so much of it is linked to the language. Well, and, do you ever run into any indigenous languages there or, or um, are you not in a place where that's really present? Okay. You find like indigenous, like the gas stations will be called like Ipiranga. That's mm-hmm. an indigenous name. I'm trying to think of some other, other places with indigenous names, all kinds of businesses and highways and places and things have uh, in, indigenous names. Itupi Guarani is the language. Few people in Brazil actually speak it. When you get into Paraguay uh, and the borders of Paraguay, they, they, speak, they, they can speak some Guarani mm-hmm. uh, there. Yeah. Mm. So you have a lot of place names and rivers and things in this Guarani language, but no one actually like, speaks it. Maybe certain border regions in the Amazon and on the Paraguay side. Well, do you ever get a sense that you're in like living an empire in Brazil? And because I, I know it's one of the larger like European colonized economies in the world. And um, do you get a sense of m- maybe more than or similar to South Africa or more close to the United States? Like is, is living there, do you feel like you're in one of the hearts of empire of, of, of your continent or in that sort of way, like economically or in terms of oh. po- political power. I mean, it's definitely the big superpower mm-hmm. of South America. It's very Americanized in certain ways. Um, people really look up to America. Everybody's dream is to move to the United States. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, that's like, interesting. Yeah, and everything kind of follows the United States, all the trends um, in terms mm-hmm. of goods. And, and obviously, of course, there's a lot of local culture and local music, but Brazil's actually quite weird. You come expecting a certain thing, but you find is actually like a lot of cowboy culture huh. around, like, you know, like a lot of cattle rearing and guys on horses in cowboy hats and this kind of thing hmm. um, in the rural areas. Like it's got that whole wild west kind of cowboy, like poncho sort mm-hmm. of vibe to it as well. Um, you know, I don't think people typically associate that with Brazil. I think they associate it more usually with like the carnival and, and samba and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I, I've, what I've read about Brazil, it, some is about like charcoal farming deep in the Amazon, like people getting s- stolen away and, and basically put to work as, in, as slaves in the jungle, um, indentured servants making charcoal for the rest of the world in a lot of ways. And I've heard about the cattle raising as well. Um, but uh, but th- that's something that, that shows up because I tend to follow, you know, like political, you know, left-leaning political liberation, social justice kind of, kind of news to some degree. Um, yeah. So that was, you know, a piece of what one article that I read, it was like, you know, slavery continues in the world. It's not just Brazil, but that piece of like a thousand miles from the coast, deep in the, in the Amazon, you know, kind of thing. People working for a couple of years, not able to get back home and that sort of thing. Yeah. You see, um, I mean, Brazil's so big and you can find everything in Brazil. It's such a big country that like that can be happening in the Amazon, but you can be in another part of the country in another state and it's, um, you know, almost like Europe or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, another stereotype of Brazil from here is just, um, is, is car- Carnival and the great festivities and the sort of sexy, a sexy culture is sort of the, a mystique of Brazil here. And, 
and um, really sort of mixed ethnicity, beautiful women, beautiful people. And, and that's, that's one of the Brazilian mystiques that occupies the mind of, of people in the United States, at least. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that stereotype is true. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. I'll be visiting um, you. Then, yeah. So. And, um, <laughs> but the whole carnival thing, ca- carnival's basically just like a big holiday. Yeah. Um, only really if you're in Rio de Janeiro, mm-hmm. uh, Salvador, uh, cities that had like a big slave culture. I guess Sao Paulo has a huge carnival too. There you find like the massive street parties and things like this. But g- generally, yeah, carnival, it, it's just a couple of days when people party a little bit. I mean, I was living in a smaller city in Sao Paulo and carnival was really nothing special. I think there was like a street parade and people getting drunk. I mean, carnival, yeah, you really got to be in Rio de Janeiro or Salvador or a few other northeastern cities to get the full feeling. I've been in Rio de Janeiro on New Year's Eve, and I think mm. that's probably the closest and the most comparable. Mm-hmm. And is it, is it a Catholic, mainly Catholic country? Uh, it is, not. but it's never like in your face. Mm-hmm. It's like a nation of lapsed Catholics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Like, I'm thinking yeah. of, I'm thinking of yeah. New Orleans for some yeah. reason. Um, could possibly, yeah, I, I, in a city I'd like to visit. There's an element of that. There's also another religion. I think it's Cornamble Corn or hmm. something they call it, which almost like in Santeria. Yeah, I've heard you know, that. These, these type of mm-hmm. things do exist as well. Uh, spiritualismo, which mm-hmm. is also kind of like a mixture of various spiritual beliefs. Um, a lot of Protestant Christian as well mm-hmm. uh, mixed in. But yeah, I mean, I suppose it's mostly Catholic, but, I've, it, but it's never been something that's been like, in my face and right or anything like that. Um, right. I'll mention one other thing that Brazil holds some fame for in the circles I've been in. I was studying um, sustainable design in, in university for a little bit. And one of the towns, um, Curitiba is, uh, is Curitiba. Curitiba um, is um, famous for, for the design process it went through, which y- the story I get here is it was a very democratized design process for sustainability that accessed a lot of voices from within the city in a really unique way. And a lot of the designers here sort of hold that up as an ideal an, an ideal model for how we could be designing our, our cities and our living spaces better. Yeah, I've, I've visited Curitiba is about three, four hours drive from where I live now. I've been there twice. Um, mm-hmm. It is a very well-organized city. It's probably one of the better cities in um, Brazil. It's fairly European. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's at altitude, so it's actually quite cold in the winter. Uh, it gets like right down to 10 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. I believe it gets hot in the summer. But yeah, Curitiba is a well-laid-out city, definitely. I noticed that like even at peak hours, there's not much traffic jam problem. And generally, traffic in Brazil is a big problem. They have a kind of pine tree uh, with very Jurassic looking pine tree with, with like the leaves pointing upwards. Um, called, I think it's called Arucara in Portuguese, oh, or, or they call it a uh, Parana pine. Uh, yeah, and in fact, Wikipedia right now is telling me Curitiba comes from a word that means Auracaria nutland. 
Yeah, yeah, they have these giant pine nuts that um people pick up and and sell in big bags. You cook them up in a pot. Um, they're pretty good, Popular but apparently it's quite here. Yeah, it's it's quite bad for the environment. Apparently, actually, the collection of these nuts um mm-hmm. for the you know for the trees growing back again. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of screws up the process of them uh, of them reseeding. We've had an interesting um couple of days um doing some illegal activity which has been great and this is this is all a lie for anyone who's interested and it's a fiction but there was a roadkill bear that a friend of ours found a black bear which there's a lot of around here there's actually 250 radio tagged bears in the city of Asheville and it's a city of 85,000 people it's not very big okay although it's very popular and trendy right now in the United States and our housing prices are going up and there's tourists flock here for some reason. I think um, it's just, it's gotten trendy for various reasons. Um, but there's a lot of black bears and uh, that we, we actually skinned and gutted and are processing a black bear right now for the first time in my life. And it's been a really intense process. Um, just like getting up close and, blood and guts gory with blood on my hands and fur um and uh, a, a sweet is about a year and a half old male bear um so we, we are learning as we go my partner and i are doing this um and it's been uh, that's that's what i was doing before jumping onto this podcast um conversation with you uh what are you planning to do with it um it'll be meat it's meat for the winter basically so it's a it's it's great meat and um, we've got heart and liver and are definitely going to cook it well so that we're not worried about trichinosis and um, have a hide to hide tan. My partner loves Yeah, hide What are you going to do with the, with the fur and the hide? I don't know what the plan is, um, but to start with hide tanning, there's a lot of interest in this region in um, earth or primitive skills. So like making bows and arrows, flint napping, you know, making baskets from bark and how to make cordage from plants and herbalism and medicine in the field and how to eat wild plants and, and survive. And there's a really, there's a really big community of people who are practicing these you know, primitive shelter making and hide tanning and buckskin and all these, all these pioneer and indigenous earth skills that are there's a resurgence of that here and um, a really big community of that um, on the fringes on the outskirts of the city like you know about usually living out of the city a little ways half hour an hour yeah Um, so that's a that's a big piece of the culture here in the slightly more underground way it's slightly alternative but well known that with herbalism is really big there's so many species that live in Southern Appalachia. The glaciers came down long ago, the last time they came down and they pushed all the way down, partway down the country, partway down North America, but left um, a big region here untouched. So a lot of the species from up North traveled South and ended up in the mountains here. And there's 10 or 20 times as many tree species as, as in Europe, for example, people love to cite that, that statistic. Um, yeah, I've always been kind of, fa- I've seen the Appalachian Mountains in movies and things and found them kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, I'd definitely love to visit. I recently was fortunate enough to uh, visit Northern Patagonia, 
Oh, wow. Argentina. That, that's a famous was, place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's possibly quite similar. It also has an insane variety of like pine type trees mm-hmm. and things. It looks a bit like the Swiss Alps, but with like a vegetation that's just much more intense and prehistoric uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and varied. Were you hiking or skiing or out on a track or what was the, what were you up to? We were there for four days. I did visit a ski resort, but I didn't ski. I was toying with the idea of skiing. Maybe I should have skied, but it's kind of like, um, it was kind of complicated to figure out how it like all works. Um, like you kind of arrive at this place and you have to like hire the equipment and go here and there. And I mean, it's like a pretty serious mountain to ski down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I went up there, we went up there and just checked it out. I did like a short hike up a, up a mountain mm-hmm. and then um, took a tour to go and see um, this island, this amazing forested island called Ilia Victoria. And then the next day we did like another tour through like this uh, national park to see this uh, black glacier. So it's basically mm. a, a glacier where the ice is black from volcanic rock. And um, oh, I've got wow. a few pictures. I'm actually making a, vid- a video of the trip. It was quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to have gotten more stuck into like camping and, and hiking. And, but at the same time, it was also kind of more like a recon because it's kind of confusing if you haven't been there to visualize how everything actually uh, works. Um, and how everything's laid out and stuff. And it was pretty cold still too. It was kind of the end of winter. Mm-hmm. So, um, and which was nice, you know, it was nice to see like to be in like snowy mountains and, and things like this. So uh, yeah, we spent four days in Buenos Aires, amazing city and four days in uh, Barilashi, which is Northern Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely now that I have a better idea of how the region works and how the layout of things is and how you get around and stuff, um, the plan is to go back at some stage and do this hiking, camping trip through this national park called uh, Torres del Plano. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in southern Patagonia, Chile. Amazing place, uh, if you look it up. Um, just supposed to be one of the best hiking, camping kind of trails in the world. Yeah, well, that's that's that sounds good. I remember going to a blue glacier um, up in uh, Colorado once, and it was just absolutely magnificent. Just the the glowing light from within the ice was absolutely captivating. It was one of the most astounding things I'd ever seen. It was really nice. Just uh, well, I'm curious. You said you're getting your citizenship. Um, Is that through marriage or through other for other reasons or? that's totally through marriage um actually i've been kind of very lucky because what happened was uh the immigration processes have been changing over the last few years and i managed to kind of slip through all of the periods where they were kind of lax in those moments so um (laughs) i actually arrived in brazil as a permanent resident Uh, i handed in my paperwork as the at the consulate in south africa which you can't do anymore now you have to mm-hmm. do it, yeah, which means a lot more translations and authentications. And You said people follow pop culture here. As not, not so much pop. Yeah, they do follow pop culture, I suppose, but people kind of idolize America. Brazil is like a Latin copy of the United States. I mean, of course, there's a lot of differences, but I think there's also a lot of similarities. 
especially in terms of, you know, like everything being franchised, uh, Walmart, this type of thing, you know, it's very Mm -hmm. much that type of like, especially in, in the, in the cities. So it's, uh, like a very materialistic looking up to America, Mm -hmm. shopping mall kind of culture generally, especially in the cities. Right. And I guess if half the population is supporting a really conservative president, then what would the opinion of the the current administration here might be positive for a lot of people? Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's 50-50 divided. Yeah. But the people who are supporting this in Bolsonaro, they're the upper middle class and the wealthy. Mm -hmm. And um, the party that had been in power in Brazil for about 13 years, PT, uh, they were sort of like the workers' party, slightly socialist. Uh, a lot of people, Lula, it's like was like I think Obama said he was the most popular politician in the world. Um, he's in prison currently. Wow. He wanted to actually mm. try to run from prison. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> but that that was but that was why not right? Yeah, but that was vetoed. Um, but like so, it's this whole thing that people want to get this PT out now because they feel it's destroyed the economy through corruption so like it's the two extremes um but yeah he's he's totally modeled himself on the donald trump uh, thing you know using twitter making extreme mm-hmm. statements mm-hmm. i get the feeling that the trump is is a circus act in a lot of ways it really distracts us from what's going on slightly behind the scenes and it's so much attention on the media is is taken up by the donald trump that we don't look at a lot of the things that are going on that are really important, like you know, passing laws in the background to make global warming worse and and um, take power away from the people and give you know more money to the ultra wealthy and these sorts of things that are going on and and all the military actions of the United States and and other countries in the world and power grabs and this sort of thing. Um, so how do you feel about living in in trump's america it's been really galvanizing for a lot of people um who don't support him because a lot of people are very upset about this about him his administration his personality what he represents Um, so there's a lot of a lot of people who are really stirred up to to fight for social justice and to fight for change and to stand up um, for our values, which I support for the most part. Um, so there's a lot of a lot more people talking about issues of inequity, social inequity, and white supremacy and um, patriarchy and these sorts of discussions of like how we can come together. Um, at a more grassroots level and really show up as better people. So there's an interesting response that's going on. And I don't know if Hillary Clinton or someone sort of a moderate Democrat conservative had been elected, um, if if the same conversations would be going on. So there's a, there's a lot of buzz about that. Um, so that's, I guess, a weird positive from this, but it's basically appalling for me most of the things trump stands for in this administration um so but there's there's lots of resistance it was a real close real close election and you know of course everyone who is on any losing side is always going to say oh it was rigged here it wasn't fair in that way i don't know maybe i kind of i was a bernie sanders supporter myself so 
he didn't make it. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked Obama. He always seemed like a really good guy. I mean, mm-hmm. especially when it came to the environment and things. I saw a show where he like he did a bear grills going to Alaska. He was talking and like really trying to raise awareness about the polar ice cap melting. You know, he seemed, I don't know about mm-hmm. his economic policies or anything, but he seemed really in good about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, he was a lot more progressive. And yeah, yeah now it's really gone, um, gone the other way. And we're in the middle, we're in a midterm election right now. So we're, we're electing a lot of representatives and other non-presidential political offices right now. Within the next month, we're having a bunch of smaller scale elections across the country. So uh, we'll see what happens. I just voted today, in fact. So um, hopefully it'll make a, make a small difference. We'll, we'll know in a month. And how do you, how do you feel about voting like, um, do you feel that it's like an obligation, a personal obligation, like you should vote or, you know, yeah, like I've, to have your say or, um, yeah, I've come more, more around to feeling like we should all vote. Like that's a, that's a duty of people. And it's the, the choices are not always, it's between the lesser of two evils. The choices aren't always ones we would, we would want to make, um, voting here does not support multiple parties. It's very polarized, so you don't get what you call, you know, distributed voting, where you have you can or ranked voting makes a little more sense. But and it's you know it's kind of a bummer. It's not it's not like a huge amount of power and, and agency to to go cast a single vote, but we have to do it because the the alternative is is horrible. Um, so yeah, I definitely think people should vote. Not all my friends feel the same way. Some are, are just like, we don't want to be a part of that system. We're going to try to make the world a better place for ourselves or for others in a different way. Um, but it seems like if, you know, that's just giving power to to people we don't want in office if you don't show up. So it doesn't make logical sense to me. Um, yeah. So I, I try to encourage my friends to get out and vote. I posted on Facebook today and gave people a list of folks they could vote for if they wanted to take my advice. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes they're like, I don't know who to vote for. You tell me, you know, and I'm like, okay, here's my list. <laughs> Do you and consider yourself politically active at all? Some, yeah, I've showed up at a couple rallies downtown. I went to a black lives matter rally. Um, showed up to in this state in North Carolina, there's a, our energy utility has a monopoly on being able to sell electricity and they're actively fighting against um, other, any other company being able to sell solar power. So they're, and doing a really bad job of, of, of implementing solar energy here, which I think is really important because we've got such a critical, you know, planetary catastrophe happening. Um, so it's, they just seem to really be hindering progress. That's Duke energy. So I, sh- I went to a, a rally and a meeting downtown to try to, you know, try to address some of that and speak at a city council meeting to the utilities commission of the state. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the biggest issue. So more like more like environmental politics. Yeah, yeah, um, and 
trying to learn more about social justice and racial equity and the sorts of just racial genocidal history that underpins the United States and so many other, especially colonized countries, it seems like in the world, you know, South Africa and Brazil, I'm sure, and here of just, you know, the European colonials coming in and just completely changing a lot. You know, someone recently, I, I was listening to a podcast and someone was saying that this is one of the most profound human migration historical events ever is this huge out migration of, of the European tribes across the world. Um, and it's, it's caused so much change. We're going to have to wrap up pretty soon. I've got to get back to the um, task at hand. And uh, I, I, I appreciate, appreciate chatting a lot and the interview we've been doing um, and catching up. It's been really nice, but I, we've got to wrap it up, I guess, in the next probably five minutes. Okay. Can I play uh, uh, one or two more modern tracks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this one will be on my new solo EP. It's called Joey Joey. And yeah, Mike, thanks for having me and good night. <laughs> Just like before 
Thanks again for listening to Micah Sun Reflections, my podcast. This is episode, I think, eight. Um, and I'll probably return next time with some more um, reflective artwork and music. Um, if you want to find me online, you can look at anchor.fm slash Sun. Um, Patreon page, if you care to financially support me and read a little more about me and my work, is at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Micah Sun. And that's Micah spelled like the mineral, M-I-C-A-S-U-N. Thanks so much for listening. Looking forward to connecting again.